Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Thanks so much for tuning in to Web3 with me. It is our mission here to educate, and we realize that some basics of Web3, like WTF is a digital wallet, might be helpful for you to know. We will be releasing a series of short videos on YouTube and Reels to help cover these high-level topics. We hope they're useful for us, and feel free to leave us feedback. My guest today is Keith Wilson. Keith is the founder and CEO of Clearcoat Labs, a Web3 company that empowers automotive brands to bring their legendary IP to life through non-fungible tokens. A veteran executive in the automotive industry, Keith is leveraging his decade of experience to build a bridge between the auto industry and the Web3 community. LFG, baby. Let's start vibing. Welcome to the show, Keith. Hey, Zach, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've been super excited to explore this part of the space that I do not have a lot of experience in. So I can't wait to pick your brain <laughs> about uh, what you're doing and share it with the audience. Um, I usually start these episodes in the same way. I want the audience to get to know who you are. Uh, that can be outside Web3, inside Web3. But let's uh, hear Keith's founding story, if you will. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah, I've uh, been working in the automotive industry for roughly a decade now, um, you know, various companies um, doing, you know, sales and working and consulting with dealerships, um, leading, you know, global brand campaigns, uh, product development campaigns, um, renewable energy and EV charging campaigns. So I've been kind of all around kind of the spectrum, um, both domestic you know, domestically and internationally with uh, automotive companies. So, you know, I know what they're capable of. I know what they're not capable of. Um, and, you know, for me, I've always had a real, you know, passion for the business, um, you know, ever since I got in it. Um, it's, you know, one of the more, you know, most exciting kind of businesses to be in because things are constantly changing. There's so much competition. You have to find ways to, you know, essentially uh, make your product, you know, seem better than every other product out there. Um, so, you know, just the excitement around, uh, the industry and you know all of the the cool things when it comes to you know bringing a car to life uh, in a sense um it's been really exciting um so yeah man i've been in the industry for a while now um and so you know i love it and that's kind of why i'm here uh because i wanted to try to find a new way to really try to disrupt the industry in you know the industry um in ways that i knew that you know traditional oems wouldn't be able to do it um and yeah that's that's why we you know are where we are yeah, I want to. It's interesting that you bring the metaphor of like, you know, your passion is around bringing something to life, right? Um, what was it that kind of drove that passion early on? Was it like experience working with with uh, in that industry, or was it a certain person or people that maybe kind of like had an early influence on you? 
Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it was um, very early on in my life, I really took to art. Um, so I loved drawing things and eventually painting things. Um, I've been drawing and painting roughly since I was what, seven years old. Um, so that's kind of stuck with me, you know, starting with a blank sheet of paper and turning it into something totally brand new, essentially bringing that blank sheet of paper to life. Um, so I think for me, that kind of stuck with me um, in my professional career, um, you know, where I was able to bring, you know, marketing campaigns to life or able to bring products to life, you know, automotive products to life. Um, and so I think for me, that's, it's just kind of stuck, this idea of taking, you know, nothing and turning it into something that people would like and adopt. Um, and I could, at the end of the day, say that, hey, I had an impact on that, right? Um, so being able to say, hey, I drew this picture, somebody, you know, liked it and wanted to take it home. I could say, hey, I, I, I made that picture. I created that picture. I painted that painting, you know, if I ever were to see it in their home again. And like I said, they stuck with me in automotive to where, you know, when I'm working hand in hand with engineers and designers um, and I'm the marketing guy and I'm having to be kind of the voice of the customer and bring kind of those customer wants and wishes to life. I can say that, hey, yeah, I fought for that feature in that vehicle. And now customers everywhere are enjoying that feature in that vehicle. So I brought that to life. I, I did that. I made that happen. Um, those 22 inch wheels on that vehicle. I made that happen because, you know, I, I was able to bring it to life. I was able to work with the team and and put money behind it and bring it to life. And now, you know, millions of people are enjoying it and it created, you know, millions of dollars for the company. So I think, yeah, ever since I was little and really got into the art world, that idea of, you know, creating something and, and bringing it to life is always just kind of stuck with me. Yeah, that idea of creation, I think, is what drives, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, lots of creatives, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, is the idea that you have, it's almost like an expression of yourself, too, mm -hmm. right, where yeah. uh, because you have put in the work to get it to the point where you are. I want to dive a little bit more into the work side of that. How how were, how are you going about um convincing all of these other teams to get on board uh, with your idea of 22 inch wheels or a specific feature in a car? What, is, what does that take to do in one of these big car companies? Um, it, it definitely takes, um, you know, lots of relationship management. So developing and establishing really good relationships um, across the board, um, whether it's, you know, with the engineering team or your design team, um, your finance team, um, you know, it, it really takes to establishing those relationships. Um, that's one of the main things. Um, and, and then I say also data. Um, data is really, really big um, in this industry. So making sure that you're not just, you know, blowing smoke, right? That you have actual factual data to back up your assumptions um, also really, really helps. Uh, because if you have data showing that, hey, customer adoption is going to be high or favorable opinion is going to rise or revenues are going to increase uh, because we're associating this kind of take rate with this particular wheel, 22 inch wheel. So it increased, you know, revenue by this much as opposed to, let's say, the 20 inch wheel that you wanted to do. Um, you know, data really helps um, sell a lot of ideas in this type of industry because it's so, so data driven. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say, yeah, between, you know, just developing strong strategic relationships um, cross team um, and also uh, having sufficient data that really shows that it makes a lot of sense financially. Uh, but also from a business standpoint and connected with customers and delivering what they want and need, um, then, yeah, it's 
you know, I wouldn't say it's easy to get things across the board, right? There are always going to be challenges, but it certainly makes the case much, much easier um, when you're talking about these huge, you know, automotive companies that can move at a snail's pace um, sometimes when it comes to adopting new products, adopting new technologies. Um, but yeah, you know, you just have to kind of go with what works. And for me, it's been solid relationships with the team to get their buy-in um, and just bring the data behind to uh, justify that assumption. And yeah, you can make it happen. And we were able to make it happen. And, you know, for me, it's just that sense of, um, you know, accomplishment every time that I now see a 22-inch wheel um, on an expedition to know that, hey, I was a catalyst for that, you know, help bring that to life. Um, it's, it's, it's really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really good feeling. Yeah. I want to, sorry if I'm nerding out a little bit. So, uh, but I, data fascinates me. I, I have honestly, as I've interviewed, you know, a ton of guests for this and, and talked to a ton of people in the space, uh, I'm starting to notice a, a theme. So I'm going to dig into the data a little bit deeper, which is that really all we're trying to do is always kind of bring data to life, right? To set the expectations of whoever your audience is, whether it's a user, consumer, customer, whatever you want to call them, community member, um, to bring them to life. So what were your data sources? I know the quantitative metrics are what what probably convince people to, to get behind your argument, if you will, to make a change. But were you, how were you going about acquiring that data? Yeah, so a lot of like competitive benchmarking, um, you know, so looking at other competitors within that particular segment, um, seeing what was their offering in the marketplace, um, you know, what was the pricing of that offering in the marketplace, um, and then kind of using some of the back end like sales data sources that we had to kind of figure out that, okay, um, if this is their offering, um, this is their sales, um, then we can maybe try to um, figure out what the take rate would be on, let's say, their 22-inch wheel um, to kind of give us an idea of what the market, you know, would kind of take for that type of wheel. Um, so, you know, we, we leverage like a lot of competitive benchmarking data, um, leverage a lot of, um, you know, like in-market sales data, traditional sales data. Um, but I think also you know, we have to make the case on the other end from a cost standpoint to say that, hey, by us, you know, going to a bigger wheel, you know, we would incur costs by doing that. Could we offset those costs with kind of with the pricing or the incremental pricing that we would attach to that 22 inch wheel as opposed to a 20 inch wheel? Um, and so, you know, we had to take all of these things really into consideration. Um, and so on one side, I had to make, you know, the argument for um, the sales that, hey, the sales are there. Um, that, hey, if we attach this percentage of 22-inch wheels to our volume, um, then, hey, it would net out this much in total revenue. Um, and then on the other side, we would say, hey, you know, rather than taking a 20-inch a wheel out and replacing it with a 22-inch wheel, let's just add a 22-inch wheel in. And then that would incur costs of adding a whole new line in the plant for a wheel. But we offset that by that revenue that we already, you know, calculated before. Um, so we offset it twice over by doing that. And so it just makes sense from an investment standpoint to do this because, you know, it'll cost us a little bit, but we'll make it back, you know, two or three times over. Um, and it'll really help, you know, set the brand up as being more modern in a sense. And so, yeah, when you have the kind of the, the sales data, the profitability data um, and the customer data, 
Um, those are all the major factors that we use to really drive a lot of the decisions and which made, you know, the decision to do that uh, much easier than it would have been if we didn't have any of that data. Do you, were you responsible then, like once you've convinced people to make the decision, are you then shifting to like a framing or narrative perspective of how you're going to roll out the 22 inch wheel so that people notice it like so that these new people might come by the expedition that wouldn't previously have gotten it with the 20 inch wheel. Yeah. And so we, we definitely, you know, try to integrate that into like the overall brand strategy um, into the brand campaign. And so we wanted to make sure that all of our hero images of the vehicle feature that wheel. Um, all of our um, imaging on the website featured that wheel and none of the other wheels. Um, you know, any kind of communication that we sent out um, featured that wheel, right, as opposed to other wheels, because we really want to get people excited about, you know, that wheel, um, that design of that wheel, um, and just really the overall vehicle. Um, but, you know, for us, more than anything, we just wanted to make sure that when you're looking at the overall competitive set from a customer standpoint, that we match up. Right. And so, you know, we could do a side by side matchup to say, hey, we offer this many wheels, but all one of those wheels does include a 22 inch where the competitor also offers one 22 inch. This competitor doesn't offer any 22 inches. So really just trying to set ourselves up to just making sure that we're competitive amongst the overall competitive set. And yeah, we definitely did that by making sure that we feature, you know, that wheel in all of our copy, um, all of our, um, you know, go-to-market materials and any kind of customer-facing uh, materials that we look to develop. Nice, nice. So I guess now that we have an idea of your background, it <laughs> sounds like, uh, you know, a lot of your job was you were a marketer, but it was it was selling your position to the other teams so that they agreed with you. Uh, and, you know, you present your evidence. I'm, I'm a lawyer by trade, so pardon all the lawyery <laughs> puns. But, uh, you know, they, they, you've got your evidence, right? The evidence is your data. You're, you know, you're going through the context of that data. You're looking at the, the big competitive landscape. You're looking at who your actual buyers will be. And then you got to look at what what if I change this, what is the impact? on our production line right, right. um right. so it'd be great but what if it costs 10 grand extra are we going to be able to sell these expeditions for you know seventy thousand instead of sixty thousand? Right. i don't know right like is that actually possible mm -hmm. um is really cool so let's let's fast forward to where you are now uh i want to i want the audience to understand how you have taken all of this experience and started building so tell us a little bit about what you're focused on in web3 yeah, so within Web3, um, we started a company called ClearCoat Labs. Um, so essentially, ClearCoat Labs is a, um, a Web3 company that really helps to empower automotive brands to bring some of their legendary IP um, into the metaverse. Um, and so we're doing that with our first product that we're developing right now, which is called Helix. Um, so Helix is an automotive NFT configurator platform. Um, so essentially, it's an NFT platform that allows customers to go in, choose their vehicle, um, customize that vehicle totally, and mint that vehicle as a 3D NFT directly to their wallet. Um, so some of the things that we're looking to do with that is, you know, on, let's say, the B2B side, we, we partner hand-in-hand -hand with automotive companies. Uh, we work with their design team to essentially um, port their designs into our platform, um, and then we allow their customers to go in, choose their favorite vehicle, um, and mint that vehicle as an NFT after they customize it. And they'll be able to do that directly from the automaker's website. Um, and so, you know, for us, this allows us to help really kind of bridge the gap between the automotive industry um, and also Web3. Um, because, you know, for what we're trying to do, um, it really 
kind of widens kind of the span in regards to the customers that the automotive industry can really tap into uh, that, that traditionally probably wouldn't have been able to really gather any kind of you know significant relationship with. And so we're trying to build that bridge uh, between the digital automotive asset uh, and the you know Web3 customer um, that's looking for a new asset to invest in that would eventually give them some utility over time um, just by partnering you know, with the automotive brands. Um, so that's what we're doing on the B2B side. Um, on the B2C side, what we're doing is we have our own line of vehicles as well called Helix, so Helix Vehicles. Um, and we you know, are essentially going to be looking to do a drop here of our NFTs in the next you know, maybe month or two. Uh, but, you know, essentially customers will be able to go in and choose one of our vehicles, totally customize it. Um, and what it would do is essentially it would give them access to kind of a suite of kind of decentralized automotive experiences that the team is looking to build out. Um, you know, so that can include, you know, um, a series of games, um, you know, racing games, drive to earn type of games. And so we're kind of calling it the age of the auto games um, in which, you know, there won't necessarily be one kind of basic NFT racing game. Right. And we see a lot of that out there. Uh, we want to have a series of games, uh, kind of like the, the Roman games of old. Right. Uh, Gladiator games where, you know, gladiators competed in a multitude of different types of competitions. And at the end of the day, somebody won kind of the, the pipe or the freedom or the gold or whatnot. We want to try to bring that same concept uh, with kind of the series of games that we want to have. Um, so customers um, uh, within the community would be able to essentially participate in those games within factions that they'll be able to uh, participate in. And whoever wins um, kind of at the end of the games, you know, could win. Who knows? They could win a pot of tokens. They could win straight cash. They could win access to some really cool partnerships that we have with, you know, major automotive companies. Um, you know, the sky is the limit, you know, that, you know, we can essentially offer. But we wanted to make sure that we're offering customers, you know, something different when it comes to how they, you know, interact with vehicles in the metaverse. That's really cool. I, I, I want to, there's a few things I want to unpack there, but one of the questions that I feel like comes up a lot uh, is, uh, Zach, what is the metaverse? So <laughs> let me ask you in your context, if someone asks you, hey, I know you say you want to create a car in the metaverse, but what is the metaverse? How do you answer that question? Um, I tell them that, you know, the metaverse is a digital community um, and it's already here. It's been here for a while. Um, when you think of NBA 2K, when you think of Grand Theft Auto, when you think of Fortnite, when you think of World of Warcraft, you know, those are metaverses in their own. So they're digital communities, um, not necessarily ran by the community, uh, but certainly driven by the community. Um, and so that's what I tell anybody that the metaverse is. Um, I say, you know, go watch Matrix, go watch Ready Player One. Um, it's all different types of them, but when you talk about kind of a digital community um, of people um, in some kind of digital world, that's what I associate the metaverse with. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I one of the things that I think people get carried away with is like, you know, Sandbox is the metaverse. Decentraland right. is the metaverse. And right. for those who don't know what those are, they're basically NFT virtual land. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not to take away from them. I'm sure they've created a lot of value for a lot of people. Um, but I don't think that's a satisfactory answer for the general public. Mm -hmm. um, but when you say digital community, that that's what I usually try to explain. I, I try to explain to people that it's about where you already are. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's about right. discord. It's about a podcast, right? right? Like <laughs> you, you and I are not together right now. We're recording right. this podcast, right? Or it's about hopping on Twitter or any type of virtual interaction you're having 
the mm -hmm. metaverse is just building that out so that it can be a self-contained universe if you will right right so you can do more things without having to go to a place mm -hmm. the the obvious counter argument there is then like well i still want to touch grass <laughs> <laughs> and i don't think anybody wants to take that away from you right, right. Absolutely. there's a balance right yeah. there's a yeah. balance i still want to go outside uh, one of my favorite uh, comparisons I've heard, I, I don't know if have you read Matthew Ball at all. I have not. Okay, so he wrote a book called The Metaverse. And one of the things that when someone was talking to him about it, what he was saying is like, don't think of it as like an escape, right? It can be for sure. Uh, there are certain like, aspects of it that are escapist. Um, <laughs> but think of it as another way to entertain yourself, mm -hmm. right? Uh, instead of watching six hours of Netflix, you can go spend a couple hours in your Helix car uh, racing in gladiator style games. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Uh, maybe call it uh, uh, um, Twisted Metal 2.0. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's the first thing that came to mind when you said that. Um, but thanks. Thanks for that. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it is just where we are. It's just a question of building out more interoperability and more capabilities mm -hmm. and getting more people to spend more time there in, in a good way. Right. right. Um, so let me ask you this. So from the B2B side, you're you're helping bridge that gap between these a lot of traditional car companies um, and, and, and onboarding them and you're building it where they are. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so you're building the capabilities for these companies to sell an NFT version of a car. What what are they interested in? What what like they, they research their customers all the time. They don't a lot of them don't have the agility to build it themselves. Mm -hmm. What are they asking of you in order to maintain that consistent experience uh, from the real world purchase of a car to this idea of having a digital version of your car or an NFT related to your purchase process? Yeah, so the, what they're really asking of us is, you know, to find ways to make, um, you know, the integration of NFTs seamless with that within kind of their entire business. Um, and that's really what makes us more uniquely qualified uh, to kind of work with automotive companies is given that we have the experience within the industry, right? We know how their business models work and operate uh, both at the corporate level and also the dealership level um, for those that have dealerships. And so we're able to kind of uniquely find cool ways for them to look at integrating NFTs into kind of the overall business model. Um, so whether it's you know, as a lead gen item for, you know, uh, for dealerships to where, hey, they go and they build one of our NFTs on the website. They have to put in, let's say, their zip code information. And now that information goes to the local dealer who can maybe help supply, you know, drops or supply um, that particular customer with, you know, first in service when it comes to service to where, hey, I go get my service at this particular this particular dealership. I get Push to the front of the line because I have an NFT from that OEM. Um, and so it's really just finding ways to integrate this into kind of their business as is, as opposed to trying to create, you know, this totally new business model around NFTs for an automotive company, given that it'll probably take forever to really get it adopted, you know what I'm saying, within the automotive company, because like I said, they're, they're pretty slow to kind of move on, on things. And they've been doing things, you know, the same way for so long. Um, and so, you know, that's really the, one of the biggest things that they come to us about um, that we have those conversations with them about. It's just, you know, how do you see this working into our business model? 
um, as is? How can you create value with what we're doing right now? Um, and so, you know, along with, you know, working into their business model, but, you know, leveraging the assets that they already have um, off the shelf, um, we, we tell them that, hey, this is pure growth for you. You know, if you really wanted to monetize it, because you have the designs already, they're just stored in your computers, and you're just basically giving us access to them to make them 3D models that could be minted. Um, and so this is an entirely new revenue stream for you. Um, it's pure gross for the most part, um, and it really allows you to connect in lots of new different ways. Uh, but then too, when you think about the kind of the reach that these you know huge companies have, I mean, they're all over the place, you know, all over the world. Um, all over stadiums. Yeah, all over stadiums, you know, and, and that's one of the things that we tell them as well. There are so many verticals um, that are somewhat, you know, semi-attached to the automotive industry. It's just by proxy, you have so many relationships that you can leverage to give, you know, your customers access to some really unique experiences that a lot of other industries wouldn't necessarily be able to do. Um, you know, I think about, you know, here in Atlanta, um, the, the stadium that, you know, the Falcons play in is the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, right? Um, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, I think it's still called Ford Field um, or Ford, you know, the Ford, it's sponsored, I think, heavily by Ford. Um, and, and so a lot of these stadiums throughout, you know, you know, the world are sponsored by major automotive companies and, you know, they can easily attach, you know, experiences within those stadiums, whether it's concerts or shows or conventions uh, to give people access to those particular events or venues just simply because I own, let's say, a Ford Bronco NFT. Then, hey, I go to a Broncos game and I can get a Ford Bronco NFT dropped to my wallet uh, because, you know, it's part of the Broncos and the partnership. So, you know, like I said, there are so many ways that we could really try to, you know, put these, you know, digital vehicles kind of in the business models of automotive companies, but it's really going to take leveraging some of the relationships that they have and some that they have, but they haven't really tapped into to really make it um, adopt um, or, you know, be hugely adopted from customers um, or their particular customers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, Maybe a bit of confirmation bias in this, considering my last two guests have been sports guests, but, you know, <laughs> one of the big problems that they are trying to solve with a digital wallet uh, in general, and obviously that requires blockchain technology and all of the rest, um, is they're trying to unite the fan experience, mm-hmm. right? And uh, one of these individuals is from Credenza, Marsha, she came on before and she talks about how there's really just this huge silo of data between the fan experience at a stadium in and around that stadium, what they purchase and the fan experience that you have online at your, you know, local, you know, forum where other huge fans of the sports team hang out to where you're buying merchandise for the sports team. So what this is and what I'm hearing from you is that the, the partner aspect of automotive industry with a very passionate fan base like you're trying to enable that continuity by doing this. And like, if that person, say it's, you know, uh, the, the, the field is called Ford Field and, you know, the sponsor on the jersey is Nike, right? How cool would it be to get a Nike edition of the Ford Bronco uh, as proof of attendance that you went to a game, right? right? And then if you go to 10 games, you get to go to one of the Bronco off-road experiences in Moab. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. 
Right. And we can capture all of that through that NFT and, you know, essentially capture it within the blockchain. And so it could be a totally token gated experience, right, to where that NFT serves as kind of the, the ticket for these particular experiences. And we keep track of it right on chain. And on the 10th one, then, you know, we essentially drop a special edition, you know, Nike edition Bronco. Um, or something like that to that particular customer's wallet. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the opportunities for collaboration um, are, are boundless, right? Um, but it's just making sure that, you know, the companies know that and they start to think around those terms as well, as opposed to the more traditional terms um, of, hey, I have this digital asset, what can I do with it, you know? Um, so we really want to try to open their mind to kind of the, the opportunities of collaboration because, I mean, you know better than anybody that, you know, Web3 is driven on community, is driven on access and experiences, um, it's driven on opportunities to earn. Um, so it's really driven on a lot of things that traditionally um, auto companies haven't been really good at managing. Um, and so we want to try to change that narrative. Um, and they have some of the best IP in the world to do it, right? Who doesn't love cool cars? I mean, right? Everybody mm -hmm. loves cool cars. Um, mm -hmm. so we can essentially... You know, with our platform meant any of their vehicles, past, present, future, or concept, you know, it's a 3D NFT and have worked with them to kind of build that relationship. Yeah, that's that's interesting, I guess. Um, it sounds like, though, uh, if, if we're, we're taking the B2B side, uh, which is, you know, leveraging, almost you're just leveraging what is existing and digitizing it, right, and, mm -hmm. and putting it out there, that might require a lot more onboarding of new users. Whereas from the B2C side, um, well, we want, all want new users there. Like a mm -hmm. lot of your early adopters will be people that have probably been in the space for a little while, right? right. That right. know what a play to earn game is or free to earn or free to own, whatever you want to label it these days. <laughs> um, so I get, how do you think about that uh, from, from your perspective in terms of onboarding these individuals who might have a perception of Web3 as like, scam scary <laughs> you know like what how do you think about that yeah so um you know i think you know leveraging just kind of the overall kind of brand appeal of the automotive companies certainly helps right it certainly brings a sense of ease uh to customers to where they feel that oh, okay well if porsche is doing this then you know it, it makes sense right it, it it's it's nothing major it's not a scam or anything like that they vetted it pretty well um, but then I think, too, it, it really comes down to the experiences um, that you essentially um, add with, you know, having that particular NFT for that brand. And so it can start something as simple as, hey, um, you know, if I own a, you know, Kia NFT, then, yeah, I get, you know, 20 percent off of service at any Kia dealership. Right. I mean, that's something simple, something small. It doesn't require a lot of onboarding. Right. I mean, it's pretty simple. If I own this and I show it at the dealership, um, then I get 20 percent off. Right. It's kind of a, a loyalty play in a sense. Keeps me from going to Pet Boys, keeps me from going to any other third party services. Right. For my vehicle. I stay strictly with Kia. I own the NFT. I'm getting 20 percent and I'm moving to the front of the line anytime I go. So I think, you know, just having like really kind of um, meet them where, where they are types of um, experiences will certainly help kind of onboard them and integrate them into just, um, you know, the value of having that particular NFT. And I think that kind of creates a solid foundation of trust, uh, but also a foundation in which you can start to kind of leverage those partnerships to build on kind of more incremental experiences for the customers that they can kind of grow into as well, to where, okay, it goes from 
20% off of service at a dealership um, to, okay, um, having you know my vehicle be pushed to the front of the line for service to, okay, now I get to, you know, go to, you know, these local car washes um, and get, you know, a car wash, you know, um, to, to an extent for free, or I get to go to, you know, this type of um, the local auto show, right? If there's like for us, the Atlanta auto show going on that, hey, we can go there for a discounted price. Um, so it's just really trying to build in those experiences and the sense of utility that will help, you know, trying to integrate the customer slowly into just not only the idea of having NFT, but kind of the value of having an NFT as well. So I, I, I guess if I'm thinking about it, like literally from like, I, I go to a Kia dealership, it's not presented as, you know, Keith's company is selling me an NFT. It is, hey, thanks for buying a Kia today. Mm -hmm. um, if you register on this website, not if you open a digital wallet, uh, you know, right? Like if you register on our website, you actually get this cute little icon that'll get you 20% off at these places. And by the way, it's a really cool piece of art too, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. sure you've heard of digital art before, right? And right. so you're, you're abstracting away the technology in that sense, right? Mm -hmm. And saying, look, this is about linking the consumer to more value Mm -hmm. right in a way that's been locked up until this ownership layer was available right absolutely um so yeah it's like you're you're, you're basically selling you know the physical rights of the vehicle but then they're also attaching the digital rights of that vehicle as well um to that person um and like i said they could start small by by how they offer um you know value in regards to those digital rights and they can kind of build it up uh, but then, you know, if they wanted to, you know, sell the physical vehicle, but keep the digital rights, you know, that's something they could do as well. Uh, but I think, too, you know, with what we're doing, uh, even on the consumer side, it would kind of help maybe build value as well. Because, you know, essentially we could reach out to them and say, hey, you have this, you know, vehicle, um, this 3D vehicle. These are some other things that you can do with it outside of what a Kia, you know, what Kia is offering. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I think what what we'll certainly see is, you know, you probably won't see like the more traditional um, customers, um, you know, that buy vehicles, maybe really try to adopt this and tap into this. Um, you'll probably see those that are somewhat knowledgeable of, you know, digital spaces, have more of a digital native type of background. Um, so, you know, those that, you know, more, are more kind of the earlier first adopters of electric vehicles or kind of those that you'll probably see really kind of dive into this a little more than those that, you know, are late to transition over to, let's say, electric vehicles. So, I mean, there'll certainly be um, kind of a grace period uh, for, you know, kind of just the typical automotive customer. Um, but, you know, what we tell, you know, automotive companies is that, you know, based on who your customer is now for your vehicles, um, that probably won't be the same customer that buys the digital version of your vehicle. So essentially, we're opening you up to an entirely new type of subset of customers that you never would have sold a traditional physical vehicle to uh, because they're just not your customer from a physical vehicle standpoint. They just don't fit that demographic of, that you go after. Um, you know, a, you know, if I say a Honda customer is a Honda customer, um, you know, and then it breaks down from each vehicle in regards to kind of the customer profile. So the profile of that customer will more than likely be totally different 
from the profile of the customer that buys the digital version of that Honda vehicle because they have a totally different mindset. Um, and so just by proxy, we're opening up the brand to just a totally new subset of customers that never would have you know, given you any attention before. And there's value in that, right? You can really do something with that. You can really create a unique relationship with that customer, um, totally different from the physical vehicle customer. Um, and so it just really opens up their brand um, to new opportunities um, and new customer relationships that they can really forge going forward. So they've got new customer relationships. And and I mean, if, if we're real here for a second, it, your old customers probably also would love to get more value in a way, right? right. Uh, right. So there's incentive then for, for them to interact with your brand more. Um, and you know, the cost of doing that is offering them, you know, one year of free oil changes or, you know, what have you, or priority in lines. Cause mm -hmm. nobody likes waiting at car dealerships all day and <laughs> taking right. work, car, <laughs> taking work calls from car dealerships. So let's shift to the, uh, the B2C side. Um, this one I think is more of a web three native, uh, use case, uh, one where, uh, we are, are talking about gamification, financialization, um, and, and the actual like trading and investing of digital assets, maybe, if you will. Um, so let's talk about your philosophy there. I mean, uh, we're, we're in the middle of a bear market. There's, you know, that's no, <laughs> like, it's no surprise to anybody probably that is listening. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how are you thinking about the release of new sets of NFTs and new sets of, um, of, of gaming options, play to earn options when the industry right now is kind of at this inflection point. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Um, you know, we're, we're, you know, in the midst of, you know, like I said, a really um, bad bear market, so to speak. But, you know, for me, that's, that's a good thing, right? That's a perfect time to build. Um, but you know, a lot of the projects that didn't really have the best intentions will probably falter out, right? Because there's not much opportunity right now. Um, <clears throat> but the way we're kind of looking at it is we're kind of looking at, you know, the end in mind um, at the end of the day. Um, I mean, yeah, we're, we're certainly mindful of, you know, what's going on currently in the crypto environment. Um, and, you know, with, with that, we certainly want to make sure that you know, we're strategic about our rollout and our eventual NFT drop and, you know, the value that we want to bring to the community. Um, you know, we're so we're very intentional about, you know, the types of vehicles that we're bringing out, you know, how we um, put together the platform, you know, the user interface of the platform, very intentional about even the chain that we're building on just to make sure that it allows for, you know, lots of different opportunities going forward for collaborations um, and making sure that it's even, you know, consumer friendly as well. Um, so we are thinking about all of that stuff, man, you know, when it comes to, you know, why we got to where we are with the Helix platform. And I think in the end of the day, you know, for us, it's a couple of things that really kind of stick out that we want to offer. That's, you know, number one, utility, right? So we want to make sure at the end of the day, you're not buying a profile picture of a vehicle, right? You're not buying um, a JPEG of a vehicle. You're buying something that's going to give you access to multiple different types of opportunities and experiences. Um, and so for us on our side, we have to go and be even more intentional about 
the relationships and partnerships that we develop. Um, and we're looking to do some some of those now. We're working on some of those now. Um, but then also, too, aside from utility, um, making sure that we're offering something at a price point that, you know, is affordable and reasonable to people, you know, given the bear market. Um, we're not trying to charge um, bull market prices in a bear market society. Right. Um, but even knowing that this is an asset that we want to increase in value for our customers, you know, we're trying to balance that as well. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we want to make sure kind of like, you know, when Henry Ford built the Model T, he wanted to build something that everybody can drive. So we want to build something that everybody can drive, <laughs> right? Uh, or mint, in a sense, <laughs> that everybody can drive and mint easily, right? We don't want it to be super, super crazy. Um, but I think also, too, what we want to try to do is really leverage um, the vehicle's role in society, like its cultural role in society, to really help bridge that gap between kind of mass adoption and Web3. Um, we know it's still a pretty huge gap right now, but we think that, you know, just the way that vehicles traditionally have helped really kind of educate or integrate people into certain aspects of society, we can essentially do that as well with Helix um, and the vehicles that we're that we're bringing as well. Um, so when you know the market does start to rise and you start to see more mass adoption, uh, people will feel confident in being able to you know go our way when it comes to it because you know we're leveraging something that they're familiar with. That's cool cars, and we're doing it in an environment that's pretty seamless. We're doing it on a chain that's really easy to do it with, and we have solid partnerships lined up to where they see the potential and the opportunity and the reason for having a helix. NFT as opposed to another vehicle NFT. Yeah, what I want to dig a little bit deeper into the um, all of that. But like the first question I want to ask you is what blockchain did you pick? Uh, and what was it about that blockchain uh, that really helped push you over the edge in your considerations? Yeah, so we chose the Flow blockchain. Um, so we're building um, the platform on Flow. Um, we'll be mentioning on Flow, um, leveraging, you know, the Flow wallets available. So Dapper Wallet, Blockto Wallet, um, those types of wallets, you know, pretty easy. Um, so the reason that we really chose Flow um, it was, you know, one of the biggest reasons is because they're super consumer friendly. Um, when you look at some of the other major projects um, on the Flow blockchain, um, they're consumer first brands, right? I mean, NBA, NFL, UFC, you know, Instagram now, um, Ticketmaster now. So you see lots of consumer friendly brands um, and that for me was really appealing because we know that they're going to make the user experience integrating into their wallets um, super seamless and super easy. And that's what we wanted, first and foremost. Um, you know, another one of the reasons that we chose Flow uh, was, you know, because honestly, they kind of chose us. Um, so uh, we uh, applied and received a grant uh, from Flow as well uh, to build um, um, our MVP on their platform. Um, so, you know, Funding certainly helps sway us in any direction. Such is a reality, um, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when we looked at some of the other projects uh, on Flow, um, kind of the whole Flow ecosystem, it just it just felt right. You know, it just really felt like a good fit. Um, and, you know, it felt like a good first chain to really build on, get our feet wet, um, one that customers are familiar with and feel safe with. Um, it's not like you hear Flow and you're like, well, I've never heard of that blockchain. You know, but then you start to rattle off the projects on the chain and you're like, oh, that project was on the chain. Oh, Ballers is on the, that chain. Oh, OK, cool. Now I get it. I get it. Crypto kid. I get it. Um, and so it just made a lot of sense for us, um, given that it gives us enough runway and opportunity to scale. Should we get there? Because they're built for that, given the other brands that they have on there. Um, but it's also a really safe um, 
um, and easy blockchain uh, for customers to to really feel and, and integrate on. Yeah, that's that is uh, honestly something that I am starting to hear about more and more. Uh, I realize that uh, funding is nice, but it isn't like they're providing enough fund. They're not providing you a series A. What they're doing is giving you enough to seriously consider what they're doing, access maybe to at least some help on the developer side, maybe not developers per se, mm -hmm. but enabling you to get to the point where you can go to the people whose job it is to allocate capital. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And they were very intentional about that, you know, in, in the conversations I had with them, you know, they said, hey, we want you to essentially get this thing built to where you can take it, put it in front of a investor and immediately get funded. Right. And so we're giving you, you know, the funds to do that. We give you access to our network, um, our network of developers. You know, we are giving you access to our you know, branding and marketing team to kind of help you with, you know, structuring kind of your overall go to market strategy um so you know we're giving you access to a lot of that and you know you go forth and you conquer um you know and you know if you say it's built on flow great you know if not great um but you know essentially you know it really helps show kind of the bandwidth and, and, and scale that they could really offer and so given that we're kind of set up for all of that now in the beginning you know once things do really take off you know we'll certainly be prepared for it yeah, one of the other interesting things, too, that I've picked up in my research, uh, having interacted with so many people building on Flow, is that they're taking an interoperable mobile first approach to their mm -hmm. wallet, mm -hmm. which I mean, who I mean, not many people, I don't want to say not many, half the market plays <laughs> games on their phone. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so meeting people where they are so that they can get in a quick uh, twisted metal gladiator style uh, race with their Helix uh, ice cream truck because that was my favorite character in Twisted <laughs> nice. Metal. Uh, you know, like like that. That's cool, man. You're in the waiting room, maybe, right? Uh, at the dealership. Whoa, right. right now, now we're starting to see some synergies, mm -hmm. and you know what? They're embracing uh, the fact that you need corporations to help fund what you're doing, but also the familiarity to make you feel comfortable interacting with, if you know it is, blockchain technology, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most powerful things you've said this this episode was like, there's all this IP that is just so like ripe to be exposed and to, and to create new opportunities for them. And it's not to just extract dollars, it's about how do I familiarize myself with this new idea of web three right and right. like does it even have to be called web three or can it just be that i can now interact with my brand a different way yeah I love. absolutely yeah i mean it, it really helps bring you know new concepts to life and i say that you know you know with kind of the automotive pun intended when you think of like concept vehicles but i mean you know there i went to the detroit auto show a few weeks ago and they had some of these really cool concept vehicles uh, on the showroom and, you know, they, they do this every year, right? They, they create these super cool, super unique concept vehicles just to kind of tease our minds of what kind of the design DNA of the future would be. But they'll never build it because they can't build it, right? <laughs> it's a manufacturing nightmare. It's a regulatory nightmare. They would never be able to build that as is. But now that concept vehicle and the art behind that can now have a life, right? It can have a digital life. 
um, you know, through kind of our platform and what we're doing. So you may not be able to build a physical version, but you can certainly build and leverage the digital version of that concept to kind of create new experiences and new relationships with customers. And so that's essentially what we're doing. You know, that's our mantra, you know, making concepts, you know, reality. And, and we can do that, you know, pretty easily. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're getting near the top of the hour and I have my two traditional closing questions. So I want to go ahead and move to those. Uh, the first one is, how do you describe Web3? Mm. I describe Web3 as um, the ownership economy, um, kind of like the new ownership economy. Um, you know, for me, that's kind of one of the first things I think about when I think of Web3. You know. To me, Web 2 was more about communication, right? Like kind of the read and write and kind of communicate. Um, but Web 3 is about ownership of what I read or write or communicate. Being able to have ownership of that and being able to monetize that from a creator standpoint is, is huge, right? It's a really, really big deal. Um, and so, yeah, when I think of Web 3, I think essentially of, of ownership, being able to own what I put out there. So what about uh, if you have a friend and maybe they're in your business, maybe they're not, uh, but they want to go buy a new car and they're like, what is this Web3 stuff you're building mm -hmm. on top? What, what, what is an example that you give them? Yeah, I tell them, hey, imagine going to a Tesla website, right? You know, choosing your Tesla, specking it out pretty sweet and you hit the button to buy it, right? Mm -hmm. That's essentially what we're building, right? But not only do you get, let's say, the physical version of that Tesla, but you get the digital version of that Tesla as well. And so you have all of these really cool things and experiences that you can have within the vehicle, you know, the physical vehicle of itself. But, you know, we're working, let's say, with Tesla to really drum up some really cool and interesting things that you can do with the digital version of that vehicle as well that will allow you to actually, you know, own that particular digital asset and monetize that particular digital asset should you want to. No different than the physical asset. You know, you can use it, you can monetize it, but now you just have the digital rights to that vehicle as well. And so we're essentially building out that digital vehicle, building out those digital rights and working with the OEMs to kind of build out the experiences that you can take that vehicle in and immerse yourself in. It may be, you know, access to opportunities to charge your vehicle for free. It may be access to opportunities to earn tokens while you're charging. It may be access to opportunities to you know navigate from place to place and earn tokens while you're doing that, all because you hold the digital rights of that vehicle and everything that the digital rights give you in attachment with the physical vehicle itself. So um, you know, that's kind of how we try to present it, right? Um, but also kind of in the mindset that, hey, when you buy land, you also are looking to buy mineral rights as well, because there are certain things there. Well, buy a vehicle, you buy the digital rights. So, so we're just trying to kind of, like I say, meet them where they are and try to bring it to an extent to where, you know, we're able to kind of, you know, parallel it with something right now, something real world. Digital vehicle, digital physical rights, land, mineral rights, right? It's same thing in a sense. Yeah, I guess in that sense, when you're saying ownership, uh, I think a lot of people think of ownership as like, I put this thing online, now I own it, right? Because mm -hmm. I can trade it for the first time. But in this instance, it's unlocking new uh, perks of ownership, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is this thing that you can prove you can own and you couldn't do it previously. Um, driving your car up to the dealership doesn't necessarily register that you have the, you know, priority, you know, waiting 
you know, NFT, but having the NFT does. So you're kind of unlocking additional benefits of ownership uh, in something where you would traditionally only have ownership in a, in a physical sense. Right. Uh, yeah. So I guess, you know, my, my traditional closing question is always uh, forward looking. So where do you see yourself in Web3 uh, in the next six to 12 months? Uh, and then where do you see yourself in Web3 in the next five to 10 years? Yeah. Say so six to 12 months um, within Web3, we see ourselves as a partner uh, with, you know, you know, a couple of different automotive manufacturers um, and, you know, essentially, you know, having kind of the exclusive rights of minting all of their NFTs for them um, to their customers. Um, so I think in the short term, kind of that six to 12 months is kind of where we see ourselves in Web3, kind of being kind of that premier provider of those digital automotive assets. Um, but say, you know, the six to, ten, six to 10 years from now in Web3, um, I mean, sky's the limit, right? I mean, you, you, you never really know. Who knows what the Helix automotive brand could be? It could go from being a digital vehicle to now being a physical vehicle, you know, built on blockchain. Um, you never really know in this industry with Web3, and you certainly never really know with automotive. Um, but I think there's a lot of huge opportunity um, as vehicles are now becoming way more digital. Um, you think about a gas-powered vehicle, it takes, I think, roughly one and a half million miles of code for a gas vehicle, whereas an electric vehicle, I think, is about four to five million lines of code. So, you know, these traditionally um, physical, you know, behemoths of machines are becoming much more digital. And so for us over the next, you know, six to 10 years, that allows for so many opportunities to really integrate, um, you know, our products within those particular vehicles capture that data and allow customers to own that data kind of within the Web3 ecosphere and leverage that data for whatever they want to do. Um, and so I think, you know, that's kind of where we're looking to go over the next few years is try to create more ways for customers to own kind of their relationship with their vehicle, the data that comes from their vehicle, the physical vehicle, and also the digital vehicle. And just give them lots of access to different opportunities, different experiences, but also opportunities to really leverage that data um, and the earning potential from the physical vehicle to the digital vehicle. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do this just because I keep thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You know what would also be really cool in five to 10 years is, is leveraging the governance side mm -hmm. of, of the NFT or of the blockchain ownership mm -hmm. to see your consumers having a hand in how you build a vehicle, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Taking Keith's previous job, right? And, and then actually like offboarding that directly to the users in a sense on mm -hmm. certain things, right? So like you go into your boss and you say, I think we should put 22 inch wheels. Here's all the traditional data I show you to prove my point. But mm -hmm. oh, by the way, everybody that owns our vehicle NFTs, they voted 99% that they want bigger wheels on these vehicles, Yeah, right? And the <laughs> only way they were able to do that is because they now own an NFT that gives them those governance rights and it's mm -hmm. snapshotted on the blockchain and it can't be changed. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, we could do that. Right. We, we could do that. It's easy to, you know, do that type of research. Um, they're doing that type of research now, but we can certainly integrate that research into the blockchain and yeah, leverage it as a tool for design and engineering purposes. We can certainly do that. Yeah. And, you know, look, I think uh, a lot of uh, the easy counter argument would be here. Uh, I could just send a survey. Right. Yeah. But let, let me let me let me let me retort that argument that no one made, but I know they will and mm -hmm. say, how much ownership do you have over a survey? Right. You know, <laughs> I, when I get a survey, I either tell them no, or I'm like, click, 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 
done. Mm -hmm. But when you've got that asset that's provided value over time, that feels like you're forming a bond and you're and you've had unique experiences with it, when they come out and say, "Hey, community, Discord," hopefully it's not in Discord. Maybe they'll build something better by then. But uh, that, that that you know, I want to interact with you, and we are considering these five features on our next vehicle. Which ones do you put, and what priority? I think there's just there's just a, a more sincere uh, sincerity about the answers you're going to get from an NFT owner uh, yeah. that had done that. So that that would be really cool to see, and uh, hope that we do get to see that. Yeah, together. absolutely. I mean, it brings the customers much closer to the process, and that's always been a good thing uh, from from my experience. I mean, it brings them closer to the process. It makes them feel, to your point, that they have more ownership in the process and the product. And you know, you always want to have that customer feedback. Um, right, to help drive some of those assumptions. Uh, because, you know, we can get in our head thinking that we know everything in this space, right? But we don't, right? And at the end of the day, you know, customers are going to buy it. So we certainly want to get that feedback. Cool, man. Cool. Well, I think it's a great well, place to a- end. Uh, I, it, it, you've embodied a lot of these, you know, Web3 ideals uh, in what you're doing. And I'm excited to, to see where you go from here. Thanks so much, Keith. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in to Web3 with me. If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore French underscore.